Welcome to the Zeitgeist 19 curated podcast, exploring the spirit of now through the lens of art and sustainability. Your hosts are Farah Piria and Elizabeth Zhovkova. We are delighted to co-host this episode with founder of MDA agency, Maddalena D'Alfonso, with today's guest speaker, Dr. Roberto Ridolfi. He has been working for many years for the European Commission and has been ambassador to various countries all over the globe. He is currently an assistant general director of FAO. Through the lens of multiculturalism, Roberto shares with us how he envisions the recovery of the global economy and why we should eventually regenerate a new way of thinking and redefine the concepts of solidarity, tolerance and partnership in our fragile, globalized world. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining this conversation. Today we have our wonderful co-host, Madalena D'Alfonso from MDA Design Agency, and our guest speaker, Roberto Ridolfi. Roberto, it's an honor to have you here with us. And if I may, I'll go ahead with our first question. Uh, Roberto, we would like to start by knowing how do you feel about this very critical period? What kind of positive outcome can this situation bring? And what would be the reframing actions to get there? Well, first of all, it's bringing a lot of positive things because what they call social distancing for many of us has been a social approaching and getting closer. Uh, number two, uh, we had a, a lot of time for uh, reading, for reflecting, for writing. Number three, of course, uh, there is uh, the economy and the economy needs uh, a serious rethinking. So if you ask me what is the reframing of all that well it must be new it must be a consideration on the current economic theory does it work maximizing profit is this the reality of our ultimate objectives is this the reality for which we risk to break all the kind of chains in value for the economy in a social uh, uh, relationship for our relations. And therefore you start thinking about sustainability. The big question I think we have, and uh, even though I would like to have the answer, yes, I'm not sure, is if the world would have been more sustainable, would the current crisis uh, have hit as much as it did or in a different manner? This is a big question. So. For the believer of sustainability, like me, I think we, we like to think that a more sustainable world will be more resilient and more apt to, uh, to adapt to crises like this one. But it's not totally proven unless and until we don't change the fundamentals of our economic theory. So, question framing a new, yes. How to do it, I don't know, honestly. I have some ideas. But one element is shocking more than anything else. And that is that inequalities are big, big impediment for an harmonious prosperity of the human being. Inequality. I think more than in the past, this crisis is hitting at inequality and telling us how much the inequalities will free up energies and resources uh, for the planet and for the people. 
Thank you, Roberto. You are very well acquainted with the concept of sustainability and the 70 SDGs. Uh, throughout the work uh, you have done and the activities you have had, which one will define your position and your point of view better? Well, um, I, I think the, the, the reality of sustainability is that it is interlinked. So you cannot take one goal alone because that goal will take all the others around it. So we have to start thinking on clustering, clustering. And in the communication, I think the communication is creative. So they have done a very ingenious clustering of SDGs. The technical reality is a little bit more complicated. And this clustering has to go by functional things. So a food factory on grains, on uh, cereals, a food factory on cereals has got a natural clustering of uh, targets. Because you know, the SDGs are 17, but the targets are 169. And the, the indicators to measure the targets are 244. That tells you the big complexity. Eh? One of these indicators, so one of these 244 indicators is called sustainable agriculture, is the number 2.4.1. And sustainable agriculture gives you an idea about environment, ecosystem, human being, health. Okay, that indicator 2.4.1, and I tell you a secret, is formed by 10 sub-indicators. So imagine if, you, if we have to go public and say, look, the indicators are not only 244, but probably are over 2,000, which gives you a sense of unmanageable complexity. Nobody can handle that. Nobody can single handle. And therefore, you go to partnership. You go to the need of partnering with others, me and you, we met because of a partnership and we are now trying to develop on that. Now that developing will take a little bit um, a transformation. So I can see now in the ecosystem of companies, there were three categories. Those that believed already in sustainability as the future. Those that were saying it in the communication, but not really doing it in practice. Okay. And the other ones that cannot care less or couldn't care less, all right? So I think now you have a polarization. So the second group will either move in the first group and therefore become really convinced that sustainability will be the business in the future. You are a consumer like me, you go to the supermarket and when you buy something, you want to see that what you buy is healthy for you. Well, I would say that uh, in a few years' time, we want to see that what I buy is healthy for my planet, the environment where I live. And I would like to see that what I buy is not producing inequalities. So it's not producing slavery or racism or any other form of discrimination against women or children, right? So you see, the consumer starting from the biological side, the health aspect, uh, the uh, the tra traceability 
will move into other social and environmental components. And that is only natural. So in that aspect, I think that uh, I would define the consumer pool the most impressive factor. Now, consumer in Italy is different than a consumer in Sudan or in Central African Republic. So the maturity, the awareness, the knowledge, the access to information of the consumer is important because then the consumer will have a more informed decision. And Madalena, you know the example of the apple that I always do. You have a big apple like that. A big apple produced with a lot of fertilizer and with a lot of chemicals to avoid that little pests, so pesticides, will destroy the apple. But the apple is beautiful, it's red, it's perfect. Okay, that apple costs less than a small apple with some holes, some little spots, but that small apple is produced without fertilizer and without pesticides, okay? So the paradox is that the big and beautiful cost much less than the small and ugly. It doesn't taste better, I can promise you, but it costs much less. So you normally, if you don't have money, you buy the big one, beautiful, because it costs even less and it's so beautiful. The point is that in the cost of that big and beautiful apple, there is no cost factor of the natural capital that that chemical components has produced. They have destroyed uh, biodiversity, they probably consume much more water, etc., etc., etc. All that is not in that price of the apple, and that's where I come with my economic theory paradigm. We have to change that. If we don't do that, that will cost less. People will look at it, beautiful, will buy it, and the small will have only you guys, because you are smart, and perhaps me, buying it, because we know that this is healthier for me and for the planet. But uh, this minority must become a majority. Perhaps the, the, the coronavirus is accelerating this polarization, you know? I hope so. Roberto, speaking of inequalities, the pandemic is forming this new kind of inequality, digital economy versus material. What is your opinion on that? Uh, my opinion that... Uh, as I say, this crisis, as all crises in a way, is polarizing. So the inequalities are getting radicalized before they are solved. Because you, you know the expression, we are in the same storm, but not in the same boat. There are people that are in safe boats, people that are in very unsafe, unsecure boats, that the storm is the same for everybody, but the boats in which we are, are different. And that's the point. I think uh, uh, resilience and sustainability is measured by your equipment, by my asset, cultural, money, and social, okay? These are the assets with which I respond to the crisis. And since we talk about interculturalism, in different culture, you have different assets. I lived many years in Africa, and solidarity is a strong concept there. You know, in, in a number of cultures, in the rural areas, solidarity is a must. 
It's not like us here uh, where solidarity becomes charity. You do if you want. No, no, you must be solidarity. You must, because your survival is a, fu a function of the survival of, of your community. And therefore, inequalities are tackled in a much more harmonious way. But yes, definitely, today we are Zooming. There are people that, because of connections or otherwise, cannot Zoom. So what do they do? They don't meet, they don't interact, they don't exchange, they don't produce wealth. And that's, uh, so I, I, I think you are right in saying that this is radicalizing. I still believe that the material of the society will, will have a big future until the material is linked to our cultural dimension. If you delink totally, then becomes a globalization, a crazy globalization, by which uh, we buy kiwi from Chile or from New Zealand. You know, if you would apply a simple carbon tax, you would never buy the kiwis from New Zealand or Chile, which, by the way, are very good because they are yellow instead of the green. But, okay, so we have to be able to produce the yellow even here in southern Italy. Yes, digital versus material is going to increase. In order to avoid that, the digital must become the material. So the digital is nothing else than another part of the material life we have. If we consider it to be superior, big data, 5G, or anything else, then we, we elevate technology to the rank of science, religion, which is not correct. Technology is technology. No matter which technology is technology. And we are fascinated by technology, and so we elevate it as the big uh, resolutor. I think uh, the biggest uh, job in the future will be philosophers, you know? We will need philosophers more than anything else in uh, 20 years. I foresee that. <laughs> Let's talk about the world economy. We are in some kind of a new paralysis in which the basic principle of economic exchange is amending and in some cases not even happening. How do you envision the recovery of the global economy? Well, you see, mathematics. If you have a GDP loss of 10% uh, and then you have a recovery so you have a minus 10% this year, and then next year you have a plus 10%, you will not be at the same point. Because if from 100, you go to 90, from 90, you go to 99, as you can see, you are not back to 100. So minus 10 and then plus 10, it's not the same place. So if you exaggerate that, the lesson is that the loss will have some dead corpse on the road. So the, the casualties in economic theory will be many. Survival of the fittest will command. That is a no, but not a certainty. Because you may have somebody that will survive only because financially speaking is stronger. Not because what it does or what it induces in the economy is worth to go. 
um, in Italy you have a number of aberrations. One is called Alitalia, you know, it's an aberration since 20 years. But the point is that the recovery will have to generate a new way of thinking. As I say to you, this kind three tiers, the believers in sustainability, the people that uh, play games, so they pretend to believe, but they don't uh, act. So they only speak, but they don't act. And the others that they don't care, they will polarize. There will be still people that don't care until such a time in which the economic theory will change, in which they will be out of business. The, the middle tier, some of them will move to the first tier, recognizing that I am, you know, you see the Green Deal, the European Union is launching the Green Deal. The Green Deal for agriculture and food system translates in a big action, which is called from farm to fork. The big Green Deal has got one element, which is the carbon tax. So you are importing this from China and it costs one. You are producing this in Italy and it costs 1.2. But the import of this from China and the, the degree of energy that they use in China to produce this is much, much bigger than the degree of energy and the emissions in CO2 that you have produced in Italy. Therefore, by applying a simple carbon tax, you will have this made in Italy costing less than the one imported from China. What do I mean? Do I want to destroy globalization? No. But globalization must change because globalization has, bring, has brought a lot of wealth. I can tell you my experience in Africa is that without globalization of plastic goods from China, many people would have been poorer than what they are. But the affordability of a lot of goods uh, from China has made them better and richer and okay, right? But then there is another side of the story, which is that this globalization is then imposing a fragility in the supply system, which we have seen. Russia has interrupted the, the export of food, export of food, grain. They stopped it. There is no example in history where protectionism has really protected. No, never. Not in geography, not in history. In no case, protectionism has always a boomerang. Eh? You start protecting yourself and you end up eating yourself. That is a lesson that history, geography, economy has given us. Therefore, I think the recovery must be based on different paradigms. And honestly, I don't go any far. There is one paradigm, because even equality, even equality is part of the SDG. In the SDGs, there are targets on equality. So on reducing this equality. Therefore, that one, which is the emerging single most important factor already inside the SDG, for me, is the new paradigm to look at. Spain, the government of Spain, has introduced already big measures on that, faster than Italy. I think uh, the Spaniards, um, since 10 years, are giving a lesson to us. Eh? After the crisis of 2008, 
which was a financial crisis, whereas this one is a real crisis. After 2008, Spanish government has changed faster and better than, than Italy has changed. This is the most single um, changing factor. I see that the change of paradigm for the recovery is a difficult uh, but important discussion that we shall all have. Therefore, mathematics will not help. If we go down 10%, we have to recover at least 11.5%. So, it's not uh, an arithmetic situation. And, and we will reach the point where we are. You know, there is a number of people in the world uh, whose wealth, and that is one of my first uh, ideas, uh, basically an SDG tax. One off, one off. In Italy, when you talk about the patrimonial tax, they also always look, look like crazy. But in UK, which is a much more liberal society than ours, they do have patrimonial tax. So a tax on the patrimony, on the assets. And this tax is delivering a base, could deliver a base in order to fuel the change of the paradigm. Very interesting, Roberto. You have lived in different countries and continents, Brazil, United States, Malawi, Kosovo, Belgium, Uganda, and Fiji Islands, to name a few. Do you think now the world goes back towards nationalism since many countries reimposing borders for the first time after decades? Well, the tendency is always there to go back to nationalism. The tendency is always there, and the, in a way, the strongest nations are those that are less prone to nationalism. So, if I'm a strong nation, I don't need nationalism. I can afford to be globalist, and that is the United States before Mr. Trump, okay? So, you have the strongest nation on the planet that works for peace, works for prosperity, works for trade, commerce, globalization. The position is as strong as you feel weak. If you are in the European uh, Union and you feel weak, your position will be national nationalistic in order to defend a bargain that you always do. I have always seen, honestly, Magdalena, this tendency to nationalism. When there is a problem, the tendency comes immediately. When there was migration two years ago, somebody won the election. When the, there will be climate change. Now, listen to me, climate change will be like a COVID-19, but 100 times bigger and 100 times longer. So let's be Let's be careful. 100 times bigger and 100 times longer, because it's something that has taken ages to arrive and will take ages to go away. And we are not even uh, thinking to that, because of course now we are in the tomorrow. And I, I cannot complain on the fact that uh, some people had the privilege to stay at home and still receiving a salary. But you, if you are a parcheggiatore, okay, if you are an irregular, 
working out. You have to go out every day to get your food back. And that is a different story. So it tells you again the question of inequality, or the question of inequality. I think a lot of consideration is, is to be given, and they are giving it. And countries like UK, countries like US, they are starting to appreciate and we also looking at the public system, public health system in Germany that has worked much, much better. And why? Because the local health system has worked very well everywhere and uh, without big differences. And I think this is a test that must be reflected upon. But the big ideas, I don't, honestly, I don't believe in, in big ideas. Eh? If we take sustainability, those 169 and we imagine a business behind it how many engineers biologists chemical people architects uh, economists uh, uh, digital experts are needed in order to move the economic apparatus the, the companies to sustainability this is one trillion, one trillion dollars market. Perhaps that is the that is the way. If we all concentrate, there will be new people, you know, new businesses, and and I think these new businesses will fuel the economy. And that's the, I think the thesis of the Green Deal in Europe. That's the thesis that Europe alone will not manage. And uh, I worked twenty five years for the European Union, and I can tell you. Europe alone will not manage. Roberto, these days a new generation of activism has emerged from deep, widespread anger over broad racial inequalities. What is your viewpoint on cultural tolerance across the world? The key word is tolerance. Tolerance. I remember when I was ambassador in Uganda. And... Um, there was a big question about homosexuality. You know, it took our society here in Europe hundreds of years, hundreds of years, if not thousands of years, to go over, culturally speaking, so much that now it's natural. But it took a long time. We cannot pretend as Europeans from other cultures to do that in five years. What we have done in 500 years, we ask others to do in five years. You know the, the kind of uh, police brutality that we see in pictures. When I was ambassador, that was the kind of uh, um, representation that we, as Western ambassador, we were making to the host government, saying, you know, this violent reaction from police is not acceptable. We were saying that, the U.S. ambassador was saying that to the Minister of Interior Affairs in Uganda. No, police must respond with proportion. Proportion means that if you are threatened with a gun, you use a gun. If you are not threatened, you don't threat, you don't, you know, proportion. Proportionality of, this, of the force. And that is key for me, the lesson that now we see that happening in our, in our societies, not only in the US, eh? not only. but I agree with you that this is a, 
this is now, I think, perhaps, uh, let's hope, this is the final point. I hear that also um, statues of Cristoforo Colombo, they are throwing them now. <laughs> I don't know, I have to search, honestly, to see. But uh, this, this means that uh, something can be over forever. You know, like polio. Polio we have eliminated forever. And we'll never, we'll never come back. But if he comes back, we know how to tackle immediately. And that's how we should do with racism. We have to eradicate and uh, defend minorities, but but respecting culture, I, I complete my example on homosexuality. So we were, as Western countries, European Union, Americans, etc., we were trying to impose the, the government in an African country to go and approve uh, very advanced laws for non-discrimination of homosexuality not considering the cultural environment, not the, not the government, but the, really the, the, the mass of the population that needs to go into that in a sustainable manner. A sustainable always is associated to slow, little by little. And um, I think that lesson was for me very important. The optimum realization of your ideals is very often enemy of the good result that you could achieve through a solid and uh, working compromise, through which then move to the next step. And we have to be patient. Patience goes along with tolerance. And I think with, with this Pope, even the non-Catholics, they have a great inspirations, you know. Not by chance he went out with a, an encyclica on environment, few months before the Sustainable Development Goals were approved in 2015. That was a very big marketing operation by the Vatican, eh? to go out uh, in July when in September in New York they would have approved the same thing, basically. <laughs> anyway, we have always to learn something, as I'm learning from you. Unfortunately, we are reaching our last question. Uh, from your experience, Roberto, what would be the outcome of moving towards a multicultural society? Positive, 100%. Look at, um, look at the football of the Netherlands. You know, multiculturalism from Asia, from uh, Caribbean, from Europe, and uh, the blending. I am... Uh, you're an expert in blended finance. But I think uh, the blending of people is much stronger, much less. Biodiversity, what, what is the message that biodiversity tells you? That if we inbreed with different races, we obtain a new and stronger kind of uh, individuals ready to face new challenges. So positive, 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 there is not even discussion about that. Can but I patience patience in accepting that if you insert a situation into a, a majority, right? If you insert a minority into a majority, you have to be patient 
into the amalgamation, into the into really the real blending of it. Mm. You know, once I went uh, to see uh, Manaus. You know, Manaus is the capital of the Amazonas state in Brazil. And from the airplane, you see two rivers. One is Rio Negro, and the other one is Rio Solimões. Now, Rio Solimões is brown, is cold, and is fast. Rio Negro is uh, color Coca-Cola, is uh, hot, and is slow. So the two rivers, when they meet in Manaus, they continue 60 kilometers. And you can see from the airplane this uh, Rio Amazonas rivers with two colors. Fantastic. After which, so you need the patience and the tolerance to live with diversity and go along. So it's not a utopia. Unavoidable. So the, the sooner we realize it, the better it is for everybody. Thank you so much, Roberto, for this beautiful answer and for this insightful and inspiring conversation. Thank you.